The Founding Fathers, American Revolution, Our Constitution, Our History, America. Thanks so much for tuning in as we discuss the people, places, events, and battles that turned 13 separate colonies into the greatest nation on earth, the United States. Welcome back, Patriots. I'm your host, Ron Kern, and I have my wife, Lisa, here to help me with today's fun and short episode talking about July 4th. Since today is July 4th, we celebrate it. Why? We celebrate the July 4th holiday because today in 1776 is the day that we declared our independence from England and Great Britain, right? Well, technically, we declared it on July 2nd, but it was ratified on July 4th. But before we get into those specifics, you don't know much about Lisa, although I've talked about her and her passion uh, about the revolution and the patriotism that she and I and our family have for this country. So I thought it'd be kind of cool to have a little short, fun little Q&A session. And uh, we only have a few questions, but I'll ask the question and Lisa's going to chime in and answer and then I'll throw my answer in and then we'll dive into some interesting facts that you may or may not know about July 4th. All right, we're going to start off with question number one, which is pretty easy. Who, Lisa, is your favorite founding father and why? So easy. George Washington. (laughs) He's always been my favorite founding father. I think without him, we would not have the country that we have today. And, you know, I think most people don't know a lot about him specifically. There's a lot of details about his life. You know, we've studied him extensively. Um, One of my favorite books, if you're interested in finding out more about George Washington, is Young Washington by Peter Stark. Uh, that just outlines kind of his whole background and how he turned out to be the person that he was. Amen. Well, that's going to make it real easy for me. I obviously, uh, that's that's a, an easy one for me, That George Washington. He is my favorite. I have his signature tattooed on the inside of my left arm. And yes, everything, I echo everything that Lisa said. And I think it's important that we look at George Washington in a painting, we hear his name, we pull out a dollar bill and we see him, right? Uh, he's on Mount Rushmore. It's He's this statue. And people don't realize that, although it's obvious, he, he was a human being and he had very strong emotions and passions and anger uh, from time to time. Actually, he had a, a really pretty bad temper, although he knew how to control it on almost every occasion. And and he's a real person. And he had family and he had stepkids and he had friends and definitely a lot of enemies. People were very jealous of him. And well, an entire country wanted him dead. So, so much, uh, you know, so many books have been written about him. I think the I mentioned this in a previous episode, it's somewhere around 9,000 books. But yeah, so we both have the same answer there with George Washington. All right, let's go on to Question number two, who is your favorite female during the American Revolution and why? So this one's kind of hard because there was a lot of great females in the revolution. Obvious ones like Martha and Abigail Adams, um, some of the ladies that actually fought in the war dressed as men. Yeah. Um, 
So lots to choose from. But for me, my very favorite one is Anna Strong. She was one of the um, members of the Culper Spy Ring. And so she was helping with passing secret intelligence back and forth to General Washington during the war. Um, if you haven't seen this, the TV series Turn, she's featured in that. But So one of the ways that she helped was by hanging a black petticoat on her wash line to signal when there was intelligence ready to be picked up. Then she would also hang white handkerchiefs and how many white handkerchiefs she hung up on her line would indicate which cove that the um, message would be at. So she uh, had a husband who was a member of the New York militia. She was living in Setauket, New York um, during this time. And her husband actually went to the prison ship. He was suspected of being a, a spy, even though he really wasn't. No, no. <laughs> but because he was a patriot, they arrested him and put him on the prison prison ship um, where he almost died, but he was able to be rescued from there. Which is um, amazing. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Uh, 90% of people that were sent to, what was the name of that prison ship? The Jersey. The Jersey. 90, 90 folks, 90 out of 100 people that went to that prison ship died. So the fact that her husband actually survived is is a pretty amazing by itself. Did you have other, other things about Anna Strong? Yeah, if you haven't seen Turn Washington Spies, I think you can watch it on AMC. You can buy it on Prime. We've watched it several times. Actually, we're watching it right now again for the fourth or fifth time. And Anna Strong uh, does play an integral part in in the series. Now, just know there's a lot of very factual stuff in this TV series. There's obviously some things that they took liberty with because there wasn't a lot written about each particular spy. It was. There was a couple of members of that spy ring that weren't known for over 100 years, and there's one to this day that nobody really knows who it is. Yeah. How would you like to have such an, an important part in in the war and not not be known? I guess that's the true hero and patriot of the war. I mean, you know, they use numbers. and I discussed this in, in a previous show. In fact, I even talk about how they did hang the petticoats and things like that in a previous episode. So some of you may be going, oh, I remember that episode. Um, if you don't remember that episode, get caught up and you will find uh, more about it. Yeah, it was at great peril that all of those spies operated. And so I just thought that being a female, you know, it was it was a big risk that she took. And uh, she did a really, really great job. It was a very important setup that they had. And, and they gained a ton of intelligence through this spying that was really crucial. Yeah, the Culper spying. I mean, there were several spying rings, if you will, but the Culper spying was super important. It, it was the one that um, discovered that Benedict Arnold uh, was going to defect or was thinking about defecting after meeting with uh, John Andre. And there's pages of, of things that that Culper spying did. There's an awesome book. It's called Washington's Washington's Spies. It's a pretty quick read. It's interesting. And I mentioned this in previous episodes is that, you know, they didn't they didn't write George Washington is traveling to Princeton and then X, Y. I mean, it was all numbers. So number 711 is George Washington. In fact, the episode um, that I talk about this, I actually have the actual code book that they used and I have all of the codes and the what each number represented. I have those in the show notes. I should probably know that off the top of my head, but now we're on episode 26. So I'm kind of losing track of specifics. But anyway, 
encourage you to listen back to those and look at the show notes. It's kind of cool to to read what they, you know, you get a book of numbers and then you can put it all together like, wow, that was pretty ingenious. Now, writing numbers and doing code was nothing new. It didn't start in the revolution. It goes back hundreds of years before that. But the fact is that one of the higher up uh, commanders, generals of, of the British army, when interviewed uh, after you know, on how important George Washington was, he said, George, and I'm not, don't quote me. Uh, he said, George Washington was amazing, but there is no way he and the Continental Army could have won the war without the intelligence gathered from the spies. So that speaks pretty highly. So Anna Strong, definitely an important one. For me, it's really a toss up as far as impact and just general appeal. Between Martha Washington and Abigail Adams, um, and it's a close race, but I'd have to say my favorite is Abigail Adams. Beautiful, um, so smart for never finishing middle school, uh, way ahead of her time. And the fact that John Adams even wrote in his diary about running every major decision past her when he was our second president. I mean, I guess in a very generalized way, you could say she kind of ran the country while he was president. Not taking anything away from John Adams. He was a brilliant man too. But Abigail Adams, oh, I'm going to have to just do a whole series on her because she she's also fills up volumes. In fact, uh, in a previous episode, I actually talk about um, the important women, and I think I talk about six or seven. So make sure you go back and listen to that episode. All right, let's move on to the next question. So, Lisa, what battle or battles do you find the most intriguing and why? I think the most important, I mean, there was a lot of important battles, so it's kind of hard to say that. But uh, the first most important battle, I think, was the Battle of Trenton and Princeton. Um, it was really the first turning point in the war. Up until that point, uh, Washington had lost every battle. There was a lot of poor morale in the troops. Um, and in fact, at the end of 1776, uh, many of the enlistments were due to expire and those soldiers were planning on going home. And so um, for them to take that step in the middle of winter, in the middle of a storm, you know, the the element of surprise that it required and, and that they came away with such a stunning victory over the Hessians at Trenton. I mean, it was huge morale booster. I got a lot of people to stick around and fight for longer. So I think, yeah, I mean, they, they really needed that little shot in the arm to keep going. Otherwise, it could have been over. Right? Aye, sure. Hey, let's, let's quiz Lisa, because let's just shoot from the hip here. What was the password at Trenton and Princeton? The passcode was victory, and the response was or death. Yeah, so victory or death. So if you ever saw that on a t-shirt or a coffee mug or somewhere that's that was the password that was used for that so yeah i i too um obviously i can't pick out well i'm going to have to but i find every aspect of everything uh involving the uh, revolution interesting hence this podcast but the battles that stand out to me too is trenton and princeton and i think too without those victories the war would have been done like over period and I did cover these uh, two crucial battles in episode 19, if you want to go back and listen to those. But the other battle I like to dive deep into is Saratoga, which everyone th may think that, okay, everybody fought, got together on a field and fought, and that was one battle, and there it was, Battle of Saratoga. Actually, 
the Battle of Saratoga is two separate battles, one being uh, the Battle of Bemis Heights and the other uh, Freeman's Farm. But nonetheless, during Saratoga, I just find it amazing and very intriguing on how Benedict Arnold stepped up to the plate, how he responded, how he defied orders and did what he felt was right. And because of him, we won that battle. Hands down, read any book, um, you're, you're going to, a true accurate picture of that battle and you're being honest would have been lost if Benedict Arnold would not have been there. And I think it's sad that his name is uh, associated with being a traitor. Well, let me back up. I think it's sad that he didn't get the recognition and uh, reward, not money, but reward of how his uh, bravery and valor won uh, along with his men that battle of Saratoga. Saratoga was the turning point where France said, you know what, maybe these guys are for real. So that battle is what made France get into the war and get on our side and become allies with us. And without France, we wouldn't have won the war either. So I just think it's crazy that somebody that is known synonymously, you mentioned traitor, and all of a sudden everyone says Benedict Arnold, if he wouldn't have defected, in my opinion, he would have been not higher or better than George Washington, because I don't personally think there is anyone, but he would have been an extremely close second. And uh, we would have many things named after him. But unfortunately, for a wide variety of reasons, and some I can kind of see why, he, he jumped ship and went to fight on the enemy's side, which is sad. Um, all right, what about... Uh, certain location. So what location or place in the revolution do you find interesting or you like to talk about? My favorite location is Yorktown. We have been there a number of times and there's something just very powerful about being there. Of course, Yorktown being where we won what was considered the last major battle of the Revolutionary War, um, where we defeated the British in a siege that took over two weeks of constant barragement, <laughs> of cannonade, and um, where Cornwallis ended up surrendering to George Washington. It's just, it's it's well-preserved, and it's a really cool place to go visit. Uh, you can see some of the, um, you know, some of the still trenches and battle lines and everything there. Yeah, and read out 9 and 10, mm -hmm. right? So, and then, of course, standing on Surrender Field, where the uh, British soldiers actually came and laid down their guns and everything, that's just a really interesting place to visit. So, um, Well, they didn't really lay their guns out, <laughs> right? They were ticked off, and they would throw them down. They and, tried to break them. Yeah, many of them tried <laughs> to break them. But yeah, that's just a really cool place to be, and uh, it just there's something powerful about it. Yeah, I love Yorktown. Uh, I have to, my answer to that, what location do I like is Mount Vernon. It's the home of George Washington. Uh, you know, it it's a special place. Um, it's a beautiful place. I, um, well, both Lisa and I are members and here we are living in Idaho. So uh, my answer to that is Mount Vernon. All right, last Q&A question and then we'll dive in. What comes to mind or what do you think about when you hear the Declaration of Independence? So I think one of the most important things about the Declaration is the soaring ideals that it espoused. It was just full of a lot of history um, about 
the philosopher John Locke, they got a lot of their ideas from him and, and several other places. Those those people that wrote it, they had a, an excellent education in humanities and, and history, and they knew, you know, about the history of all the republics that came before them. Uh, they studied them a lot. And so there's a lot of, um, you know, important kind of just American, what we consider American ideals now, one of them being, you know, that we have natural rights. Humans are born with natural rights, including our rights to protect our lives and our liberty and our property. Um, that's kind of taken for granted by us, but it's something that they've really put into words really well that, that we're born with those rights. The government doesn't give them to us. Wait, wait, wait. Doesn't doesn't the government protect us and we should rely on our own government for everything? Well, a lot of people think that the declaration says that the government grants us those rights, but that what it says is that they are protected rights that come from God. Um, you know, right. And that the government, should we are to be protected from the government taking those rights away. Another one being that the government is a social contract between people and their rulers, which can be dissolved if rulers fail to promote the people's welfare. Um, most people aren't aware that it even says that. And, you know, we're, we've kind of gotten to a point in history now where <laughs> a lot more people would be better off if they knew that. Right? Yeah, for sure. So, Okay, well, what comes to my mind when I hear the Declaration is a couple things. One, I think about how most people take everything in this country for granted. The 4th of July is a day off of work and a barbecue and celebrating and lighting fireworks. I, th I think it's oftentimes not remembered and, and forgotten of, of what July 4th means. And yes, it was 250 plus years or, or thereabouts. So what? It's the founding of the country that we live in. And it's important to understand, know, and realize what and how it came to be. Whether you're a Republican or Democrat, it's irrelevant. If you don't know your history, the real true history, which is why Lisa and I teach at a Christian co-op, we teach the U.S. Constitution and the American Revolution, um, because it's not necessarily being taught factually in public schools, not all, but some. And, uh, and, and that's why we do that. We love sharing both the good and the bad of things that happened during the forming of our country. The other thing I think of is how brave would you have to have been to be one of the 56 people that signed their name on a piece of parchment declaring independence from the greatest army, the largest navy, and the most powerful country in the world? Knowing, or at least thinking in the back of your mind, the chances of us pulling this off are, are pretty slim. It's like, you know, my son's junior high team playing, you know, the Chicago Bulls with when Jordan was, was playing. I mean, the chances were not great. I've probably mentioned this in a previous episode. But, you know, signing your name on the declaration, what, what would have happened to those people had we lost? Well, some people think, well, they would get in trouble. They would go to jail. They would um, maybe some of them be punished or whipped. Well, here's the reality. Those 56 people were like the FBI's top 10. Okay, this was England's top 56. Anybody that had signed that or main major leaders, they wouldn't have done anything except hang them. They were committing treason. Yeah, that was treasonous punishable by hanging. And I don't want to get too graphic because a lot of homeschools use this podcast, but let's just say it was a brutal 
death, they were hung. Um, I won't go into what they did after, but oftentimes they would have been um, drawn and uh, quartered and dismembered. It was brutal. And if you ask yourself this question, go back then, if you can, and you have the opportunity to sign this document, knowing that if you get caught, you're not only going to lose your land, your rights, your property, your family, your possessions, your clout in a group, organization, or city, or township that you're in, you're going to die. Are you willing, or would you be willing to sign your name to that? I would love to sit here and say, well, yeah, I definitely would have, but I don't know, to be honest. I, I mean, I hope that I would be. I think I would be, but we really don't know, right? We're not going to be put, we're, we're never going to be in that, well, I shouldn't say never, but we're not able to put ourselves in, in the position because it was such a unique time. And so those are the two things that I think about when I hear the Declaration of Independence. And any, you have anything else to add on that before we wrap up the Q&A portion? All right. So one thing I would ask is these questions that uh, Lisa and I answered, I would love to hear what your responses would be. So there's a couple ways to do that. One, you can uh, send a voice message to our podcast and I will air them. Or you can just go to our website, which is patriotpowerpodcast.com or Easier to remember, I love georgewashington.com and just shoot, shoot us an email and uh, I'll read those on air. So I'd love to hear who your favorite people were and battles and what comes to mind when you hear the Declaration of Independence. I don't want you to learn about the people, places, battles, and events regarding the American Revolution. I want you to experience them. My fifth great-grandfather, Peter Kern, lived in Pennsylvania and fought in the Revolutionary War. He fought in the Battle of Long Island and other battles, so the connection to this war is a personal one. Because of his courage, bravery, and sacrifice, his decision to pick up a musket and fight for freedom allows me to be a proud member of the Sons of the American Revolution, an organization with just 33,000 members. My father served in the Navy, as did I, and I believe 100% in this country and the United States Constitution, regardless of how crazy our country seems to be right now. It's important to understand how our country came to be and know the true and actual history behind the people who created it. The American Revolution is my passion, described by my family and friends more appropriately as my addiction and, well, I can't disagree. For each show, I spend countless hours researching, reading diaries and journals from people of the era, scouring documents from countless sources, calling and searching city, state, and federal archives, digging deep to uncover things that most of us haven't even heard about. Of course, this may include the many historic places that I've been to personally. Then it's all put together, recorded, and published, making it available worldwide. Through my words, descriptions, and show notes, my goal is to have you be there, feel what they felt, literally have an understanding of what was going on with the topic of each show. As I tell my students, it's not about memorizing dates and timelines, but rather understanding the journey and the story of how our country came into existence and those involved in the process, both known and the many, many that nobody has ever heard of. If you don't hear 
passion in my voice. If you can't put yourself in the situation that I'm talking about, and if you don't have a good visual picture in your mind, that means I haven't done my job very well and I missed my goal with that podcast. I'm sure I'm going to fall short from time to time and to fill those gaps, I have show notes for every single episode. These include links, videos, photos, paintings, and a large variety of additional resources and educational information that you can explore. I've had several listeners tell me that they like to go through the show notes first and then listen to the episode. I'm pretty confident you know what method works best for you. I'm just glad that you're here. There's several ways that you can support my show. First, tell somebody about it. There's nothing better than word of mouth. You can also financially sponsor the show, which can be found in the footer section or the bottom part of my website. Just click it, choose any amount, and that's how that works. I'd love nothing more than to have a personal sponsor than the ones that you currently hear now. And lastly, I would sincerely appreciate you leaving a review. It just takes a couple minutes, if that, and the more reviews a podcast receives, the more likely that it will be found. And in these trying times in our country, the more people that can learn our founding and this country's history, the better. Thank you so much for tuning in. All right, before we get into some fun things, interesting facts, and the progression of the 4th of July and how it came about and who was behind it, I want you to listen to this audio clip that was taken from a YouTube video uh, courtesy of Mark Dice, and I have the full link in our show notes. I want to give him credit. He goes around and asks people about the 4th of July and our independence. And although it's kind of funny at first, I think the results or the lack of knowledge will shock you. And for many of you, uh, it might actually start to be quite disgusting because it is pretty sad on how many people know so little. So, so listen to this. And if nothing else, it should make you feel better because this is absolutely amazing on the responses and what their answers are to his questions. Celebrate the 4th of July? Yes, I do. And what do we celebrate on the 4th of July? Um, independence. What started it? I'm not too sure. No. Long time ago, history class, fifth grade, they, right. they said something started this whole 4th of July celebration. What was it? Uh, I'm guessing, like, winning over freedom in America, maybe? I don't know. You don't know? I'm not sure. You're not sure? Not sure. It started because we broke away from a certain country, right? Yeah. Right. What country was that? <laughs> I had to go, man. You don't know. <laughs> what, what country did we declare independence from to create this great country? bad this is bad of me ready for the fourth of july yeah we are what country did we declare independence from america uh africa man what's that i forgot you forgot okay what year was the declaration of independence signed uh 1856 or 1756 1756 maybe 
win John Wilkes Booth and Karl Marx signed the Declaration of Independence to start this country. What year was that? 1492. Well, that's that is a date in history, but it's not the when there was a certain document that was signed that started this country. What was that? I don't remember when the Declaration of Independence was signed. It's probably 1600 somewhere. When Lee Harvey Oswald and Karl Marx signed the Declaration of Independence to start this great country. What year was that? I'm assuming the 1800s. You're just assuming. Okay. Yeah, Anything I don't else? know. I'm not a history person. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember, honestly. No. No. Can you guess? Um, can I guess? Maybe 1815? Does that sound right? Maybe? No. 14? Something? It sounds I don't know. wrong. <laughs> it is wrong. Yeah, so are um, you going to tell other me? Other than Karl Marx and John Wilkes Booth, who are some of the other founding fathers that are credited with starting this great country? Uh, Benjamin Franklin, um, Abraham Lincoln, right? No, no, he was way, way out. Okay, well, Benjamin Franklin. Okay, you got one. <laughs> when Sean Haley and Ross Schoenball signed the Declaration of Independence, what year was that? I don't know. Did you go to history class? Yeah, and I aced it, but I don't remember most don't stuff. Remember. It's like, because like in school, like you memorize it, but you don't really like memorize None it. None of that stuff's really important. No. no. What did that do exactly? Declare our freedom. Is that right? Sure. Oh, no, no, help. no. What did it do? The freedom of America and who we are and. And all that stuff. The evolutionary, yeah, the evolutionary war, yeah. The evolu evolutionary. Revolutionary. What year did we declare independence from a certain country a long time ago to start the 4th of July? 1796, right? I don't know. You don't know? I don't know. Did you go to school? I did. Okay. You just get paying attention? I, just, I, I guess I didn't. What country did we declare independence from back then? In what country? Uh, that's a tough one. Uh, yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. Uh, you know what, man? In the state of mind that I'm in right now, I don't even want to answer it because I don't want to make it sound like if my schooling and my education was wrong. You know, is it, oh, this no. isn't this isn't helping you. This is not helping me at all, bro. <laughs> Speaking of American history, what city was the Boston Tea Party located in? Um, Boston. <laughs> You're not sure. Uh, I'm not. I'm really not good at history. Long time ago, back when the, when the Declaration of Independence was signed, what year was that? 1782. And they taught you that. Uh, where did you learn that? Uh, most likely in history class or history something class. like that. And you were like a that. pretty good student, do you think? Um, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Fourth of July started because we declared our freedom, our independence from uh, another, from something, right? What was that something? <laughs> I don't know, man. No, you don't know. Did no. you go to school? Not really. No. Not much. <laughs> you didn't, like, pass a fifth grade or anything? I graduated high school. But oh, you did, that's I was, it. <laughs> I didn't pay attention they didn't teach man. that in your high school? Nah, man. What are we celebrating on the Fourth of July? I guess it's <laughs> Americans' independence from the... From the British government, I guess. You guess? I guess. I don't know. I couldn't. I couldn't You're remember. Sure. What country famously broke away from England in the late 1700s to start their own country? From England? Yeah. Uh, Great Britain. Uh, no, England is Great Britain. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I have no idea. You're standing on it. The U.S. The U.S. 
Good afternoon. Oh, gosh, good afternoon. What country famously broke away from England in the late 1700s to start their own country? Um, I don't know. No. Which one? You don't know? Mm-hmm. Have you ever learned that in history class? Was it Australia? I'm just going to guess. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, they sent people to Australia. That's what they did. The criminals. Yeah, the bad people. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Okay. Uh, it starts with a U. The Ukraine? No. <laughs> Yugoslavia? The United States of America. Yeah, there we go. All right, now I'm going to turn it over to Lisa, and she is going to cover like the timeline of the Declaration of Independence and how and who was involved with that. So, Lisa, take it away. All right, so sentiment was quickly building in early 1776 towards independence. Public opinion was starting to change that direction, and with some of the early battles that went on, you know, people were starting to kind of feel more and more like yeah, I think this is maybe something we should do. So how it came about um, started kind of on June 7th. Uh, Richard Henry Lee of Virginia proposed a resolution in the Continental Congress on independence. Uh, They wanted to have a vote on it, but on June 11th, Congress put off that vote because they wanted more time to consider it, and they ended up appointing the Committee of Five to draft the public document outlining the reasons for declaring independence from Great Britain. So the Committee of Five consisted of John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Robert Livingston, Roger Sherman, and of course Thomas Jefferson, who ended up doing most of the actual writing um, and who gets most of the credit. Yeah, he does. And he did a fantastic job um, with, you know, like I was talking about the ideals that he drew on from some other sources and uh, some of that also came from George Mason, who actually had previously drafted a Virginia Declaration of Rights. Um, so there was several influences that helped him out there. And John Locke, too. Right? John Locke. Yeah. So it wasn't. I mean, again, I don't want to take any away from TJ. I mean, we 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 got we called George Washington G Dub, Thomas Jefferson TJ because we we feel like we're that close. But TJ, I don't want to take anything away from him, but. You know, he did use George Mason's document, a good portion of it. John Locke had written several things that were quite similar. I'm not saying that T.J. plagiarized or anything. I couldn't have done uh, uh, one one-thousandth of what he wrote. But he, I think what Lisa's trying to say is that he had some amazing uh, inspiration. inspiration and things to draw from and to bring it to bring it to that time frame and make it relevant. So a few weeks later on June 28th, they submitted their draft of the declaration to the Continental Congress. Um, And then on July 1st, the Congress sat down and debated the resolution. I say they sat down, they probably weren't really sitting so much. I think there was some lively debate. Um, But right right away, um, nine of the colonies were ready to vote in favor of the declaration and the break from Britain. Uh, South Carolina and Pennsylvania were opposed at that time. And the two Delaware delegates didn't agree. They were on opposite sides of it. So they couldn't vote in favor or not in favor because they disagreed with each other. So wait, their votes would just watch? And so, and then New York was unable to vote because they had instructions from back home in their own, you know, colony that their only role in this was that that they were, if, if there was something to do with reconciliation with Great Britain, they were not allowed to vote any other way. So they... Kind of just were standing off to the side, not now, fully contributing. Didn't that's kind of a theme for New York. 
<laughs> I mean, this is kind of a theme on how New York acted during the duration, but that's another topic. So they were just kind of staying out of it. Um, so then that was July 1st. And then on July 2nd, another delegate showed up from Delaware and broke the tie. And so they ended up Delaware voting in favor uh, as well. And then after that, South Carolina decided to change their vote as well. Um, so that brings us to 12 colonies that decided that they were going to vote. Uh, when the vote was called, the resolution passed 12 to 0, with New York abstaining. They weren't able to vote, so they didn't. And on that night, July 2nd, John Adams wrote home to his wife, Abigail, describing it. And he made a prediction about what the future would be of our country if we won the war, of course. <laughs> Nothing was certain at this point. Um, but here's what he wrote to his wife, Abigail. The second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other from this time forward forevermore. You will think me transported with enthusiasm, but I am not. I am well aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost us to maintain this declaration and support and defend these states. Yet through all of the gloom, I can see the rays of ravishing light and glory. I can see that the end is more than worth all the means, and that posterity will triumph in the day's transaction even although we should rue it, which I trust in God, we shall not. So he made these predictions about how it would be celebrated on, on July 2nd. <laughs> but in spite of the fact that we, we celebrated on July 4th, and I'll tell you why in a second, um, he made some very accurate predictions there. And he even mentioned from one end of the continent to the other, which at the time, you know, that was far off in the future. They were only on the eastern seaboard at that time. So he was quite a visionary in some of those predictions. I just think that is one of, the, out of all of that, that is just, I mean, he had envisioned from one end of the continent to the other, and yet we hadn't even traveled past the Appalachian Mountains, for crying out loud. Yeah. So uh, it's it's really cool. And, you know, when we ask, when we teach, we ask our kids, fourth through seventh graders, um, you know, what are you going to do for Fourth of July? Uh, and it's like, well, we're going to barbecue, we're going to have fireworks, so we're going to have... And I'm like, do you know why we do these things? Well, yeah, because my mom and dad do it, and their mom and dad did it, and their mom and dad... And so it's kind of fun to go back and read what John Adams said, because whether he predicted it, and then people like that and decided to do it, I don't know. But everything almost that he rattled off, we do, right? You may have already done it, depending on when you listen to this. And uh, John Adams was was a, again like kind of like his I think his wife rubbed off on him a little bit way ahead of his time. I think it's interesting that he brought up the guns and in earlier celebrations, the very first July Fourth celebration actually happened in 1777. The very next year, we hadn't even won the war yet, but they were already starting this celebration and um, you know they commemorated it with a lot of guns. There was a lot of firing of guns and cannons and all kinds of things, which for obvious reasons we don't do so much these days, but. Um, I think it kind of started with a lot of that kind of things. That that was also just a commemoration of battle, right? There was all these wars, all these battles that were going on. And so the firing of the guns and the cannons was kind of a commemoration of that. Yeah, it was probably also some 
male testosterone, <laughs> right? Boom, you know, lighting off big. I mean, I get excited with a sparkler, and these guys are lighting off, you know, 12-pound cannons, and it's like, oh, that must have been loud and awesome at the same time. Yeah. So that's July 2nd. Um, after some editorial revisions by Congress, they approved the final draft on July 4th. So that's why July 4th came to be the day that we celebrate Independence Day. It was the day that the document was ratified by Congress. Um, and they ordered some copies to be printed and distributed to the colonial assemblies and to the Continental Army to be read to them. Of the first printing of about 200 copies, it's believed that about 25 of those original copies still exist today. And that would be a cool thing to have, wouldn't it? Oh, can you get me that for Christmas? Mm -hmm. The original official copy that is displayed at the National Archives is not one of those original printed copies. It was one that was handwritten out on parchment by Timothy Matlack and was meant for the delegates to sign, which they did on August 2nd. So another little thing that happened in between there, on July 8th, the declaration was read out loud in front of the Philadelphia State House, kind of a famous scene that some people may have visited that area. Now, Philadelphia State House is now Independence Hall. Correct. So there you go. And then on July 9th, New York decided they were going to change their mind and allow their delegates to join the other colonies, making the break with Great Britain a unanimous decision. <laughs> well, isn't that just swell? You know, everyone's moving along. We're the, you know, 12 out of the 13 colonies have joined. I, I see things moving forward, and New York says, Okay, yeah, jump in now. Yeah, you know, I think maybe now is a good time. Uh, it's funny how New York is and was. So while this is a joyous celebration for us today, um, you know, like Ron said, there was a lot of trepidation about doing this. These people were literally, as as the last line of the declaration says, you know, committing their to their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. And one of the other quotes about it was that if we don't hang together, we'll all assuredly hang separately, <laughs> right? So this was an act of treason that they were doing, and it was a momentous occasion for sure. But there was a lot of solemnity about this when it was taking place. And, and I actually have a little excerpt from a recollection from Benjamin Rush to John Adams. And, um, in 1811, he was writing this to John Adams. And so I'll read that for you that talks a little bit more about that. Do you recollect your memorable speech upon the day on which the vote was taken? Do you recollect the pensive and awful silence which pervaded the House when we were called up one after another to the table of the President of Congress to su subscribe what was believed by many at that time to be our own death warrants? The silence and the gloom of the morning were interrupted, I well recollect, only for a moment by Colonel Harrison of Virginia, who said to Mr. Jerry at the table, I shall have a great advantage over you, Mr. Jerry, when we are all home for what we are now doing. From the size and weight of my body, I shall die in a few minutes. But from the lightness of your body, you will dance in the air an hour or two before you are dead. This speech procured a transient smile, but it was soon succeeded by the solemnity with which the whole business was conducted. So they really understood the weight of what they were doing. You know, it was, it was a moment of levity, I guess, in a kind of a morbid way, but but they really understood what they were what they were risking by doing this, and uh, you know, and thank goodness it all turned out good on our end, and nobody was hung. But yeah, right. <laughs> but that's not to say that um, those signers didn't suffer some consequences from it, right? There's a whole yeah a whole book about that. Is in well. fact, I actually, uh, if you look on our website, uh, patriotpowerpodcast.com, and the uh, blog section, um, I actually wrote uh, what happened. 
um, and did a little short bio of all 56 signers. And um, I don't want to compare them, so I, I'm, I'm going to do this very loosely, so don't, don't send me negative feedback. But if you look at the 12 apostles that followed Jesus and you know the end result of what they went through, uh, many of the signers of the Declaration had not so good lives afterwards. So uh, read that article if you want to check out more. And I'll also put a link to a book that we have that really covers uh, the 56 signers. So I'm glad that you mentioned Benjamin Rush because Benjamin Rush, so let me back up. John Adams, Thomas Jefferson worked together, good friends, went to Europe, did okay, came back. Thomas Jefferson wanted to be president. John Adams is going to rerun for president again. And that's when they became not good friends. In fact, they hated each other. And Benjamin, and they didn't speak for like 12 years. And Benjamin Rush wrote a letter to John Adams and said, Hey, did you know that Thomas Jefferson wants to talk again and, and, you know, rekindle the friendship, which he, he never did, but that's what Benjamin Rush uh, said to John Adams. And then he also wrote to Thomas Jefferson and said, hey, did you know that John Adams wants to rekindle? So Benjamin Rush really got those two talking. So we're talking about July 4th. Both John Adams and Thomas Jefferson died 50 years to the date that they both signed the Declaration. So they died within hours of each other on July 4th. It's kind of crazy story. And uh, I go into great depth about their they were frenemies, right? And I go into their whole story and more details of, of how they passed away. It's pretty incredible. And you can check that out in episode 24. All right. So now we're at a place in our podcast. We're almost done, but wanted to share some interesting and maybe unknown facts about it. So the first one is the Liberty Bell is tapped. And I say tapped. Uh, 13 times on July 4th. So it was uh, tapped today 13 times, representing obviously the 13 colonies. The last time it rung, that was actually officially rung. Do you know when that was, Lisa? 1846. See, we think alike. We love the same places. We love the same people. I should marry this gal. Um, 32 <laughs> years thus far, right? Uh, Massachusetts was the first state to make July 4th a, a, a state holiday. And there are 20, or there have been 27 versions of the United States flag. And uh, many of you may have known or read in the article, but um, I was honored uh, to become president of the Idaho Society of the Sons of the American Revolution because my fifth great-grandfather fought in the revolution. But uh, I did a news interview about flags and it was on June 14th flag day so I will put a link to that uh, short uh, TV interview and you can learn a little bit more about uh, the flag and what things you can do and where you can learn some more about the United States flag but yeah 27 versions the uh, next one is John Hancock was the first person to sign the declaration and as we all know it's the largest signature on the document, and there's a couple plausible reasons why. Uh, one is that he thought King um, George would not be able to read 
or he wanted King George to be able to read his name without having to put on glasses. Um, the other reason is, is that he just kind of wanted to be the biggest, right? And he was the president of the Congress. Yeah, he was president of the Congress. I, I personally don't know. He never wrote about it uh, in his diary that I've uncovered. I just think, you know, if you're at work or, you know, you're signing a birthday card and, you know, there's going to be a lot of people signing it. Some people start off like, oh, look at all this room and it's just much bigger. And like the last person to sign it, you know, you can barely read it because it's so small. I think maybe that's it. But I also think that he had a little bit of an ego. I mean, he was the richest person, uh, one of the richest in all the colonies. Um, he was looked over for being the commander in chief of the Continental Army when they, when John Adams nominated George Washington. So maybe, maybe that was part of it. But nonetheless, he was the first one to sign the declaration. Uh, President Zachary Taylor died on July 4th after he ate spoiled fruit. He became sick and died. James Monroe uh, also died on July 4th. And as I just said, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams also passed away on July 4th. There are over 150 million hot dogs consumed today on July 4th. That's, that's just a lot of hot dogs. Uh, Bristol, Rhode Island has the longest-running 4th of July parade. Only two men signed the Declaration of Independence on July 4th, 1776. That's crazy. We all think, well, there's a painting that show everybody in one room at the same time signing. It's not how it went down. Um, obviously, two signed it on that day, and as people could make their way, they signed it, and it was finally all done on August 2nd. But People would come and go and sign their names. So that painting, although it was meant to show unity, is not accurate. Um, it was signed over a period of time. Lisa, how much do you think each year is spent on fireworks? Take a wild guess. A lot. A lot. She <laughs> is right. A bill, about a billion, one billion with a B is spent on fireworks every year to celebrate the 4th of July. Uh, this is kind of cool. There were about two and a half million people living in the United States in 1776. Man, that's not even a, that's like a small city now, isn't it? Uh, George Washington celebrated the 4th of July in 1778 despite the fact that he was in war and uh, commanding troops and had a pretty full plate. But uh, he gave all soldiers on July 4th a double ration of rum. So in addition to, you know, firing off cannons and muskets, they also had a, a little extra alcohol for him. And contrary to popular, popular belief, uh, George Washington did not sign. You will not find George Washington's signature on the declaration. He was out in the field, too busy, um, but obviously he felt the same sentiment. But he did not sign. You will not find his name on the declaration. There are actually several countries that celebrate America's independence, which maybe we protected them, maybe we helped them throughout the years. One country is the Philippines, but I think that's pretty cool. When other countries are celebrating our independence, uh, that's pretty awesome. There are 31 towns in the United States that contain the word liberty. 
And here's a simple question, but I don't know, maybe you know the answer. Who decided, what group decided on the Declaration of Independence? Lisa mentioned it earlier. Yes, it was the Continental Congress, but it was the Second Continental Congress that made that decision. The I, This one I did not know. The Declaration of Independence and our, our Constitution were secretly stored at Fort Knox after Pearl Harbor attack. So we didn't know at the time what was going to happen, if there were, we were going to be bombed. You know, Washington, D.C. would probably be a likely spot. So they removed those uh, important documents and stored them in Fort Knox after we were attacked at Pearl Harbor. There's been only one president thus far that's been born on July 4th, and that was Calvin Coolidge. Lisa, do you know who the oldest signer was on the of the Declaration? Benjamin Franklin? That's right. Benjamin Franklin was the oldest, and he was 70 years old. And Edwin Rutledge, who also signed the Declaration, he was the youngest at age 26. Do you have anything else that you want to do? I have anything else. I think I covered most of them. So today, I hope that you enjoyed. If, if today is not July 4th when you're listening to this, I hope that your 4th of July celebration was pleasant and fun. And I hope that if you are listening to this um, today or within a week of July 4th, I'm sure there's going to be flags still flying. I hope that this podcast uh, show provided you further insight and that when you look at the United States flag or you hear the Declaration of Independence or perhaps next year on the 4th of July, you will have a new appreciation and understanding of just how important it is. Thanks for listening and hope that you tune in next time with us here at the Patriot Power Podcast. Make sure that you hit subscribe so you'll get notified when our new episodes are available for you. And we hope that you check out our websites, which include our show notes, links, documents, and more at patriotpowerpodcast.com or ilovegeorgewashington.com. Until next time, hope that you and your family have a blessed week. And remember, be safe and tell a veteran thanks for their service.